see you guys. Uh, how many people, just by a show of hands, how many of you were here last month just by a show of hands? Amazing. How many of you have you've never been here before? Raise your hand. Amazing. All right, so just turn to your neighbor and uh, look at your neighbor and just say, everything's going to be all right. I, I just got back from South Florida. And in South Florida, there's a, there's a, a, a lot of Caribbean employees, so people who come from the Caribbean to work in South Florida. And I was looking for a place to plug in my, my, my computer. You ever have an issue where you're trying to plug something in and you, that person can feel you have stress? He literally looks over to me and he goes, everything gonna be irie. And I was like, that is all, that's all I need. So turn to your neighbor in your best Caribbean accent and just say, everything gonna be irie. I love it. Well, welcome. Hey, tonight, just so you know, I want you to know, there's a guy here who runs this joint, and he has an awesome staff, and aren't they incredible so far? Uh, his name is Larry Little, and he's standing behind the bench over here, so give it up for Larry, thank you. Thank you, Larry. Larry lets us come here free of charge. So I, I want you to, uh, to, to buy beverages and buy food and eat and hang out and tell people about this place. And if you tweet, put, hit the location because we want good people in this city to succeed. And Larry, you were one of those good people. So thank you so much for doing this. All right. Hey, tonight we're going to talk about some stuff. You ready for this? Uh, tonight we're going to talk a little bit about an ancient practice that we've lost that we need to reclaim. We're going to do that by finding out what uh, the Romans knew thousands of years ago that um, we need to rediscover in our life today. We're also going to talk about Purell. We're going to talk about mistakes. We're going to talk about stones. And we're going to talk about flesh and then have a surprise for you at the end. Does that sound good? Yeah. You ready? All right. Anybody know why it's called February? No. 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 Survey says no one ever does. Right? <laughs> Everyone I ask, hey, why is it called February? No clue. But we all live a February everywhere that, that observes the Roman calendar, which is pretty much everywhere in the known world today. We have a thing called February, and nobody has any clue why it's called that. Now, I think there's, the world splits into two different kinds of people. The kind of people who go, I don't know what it's called. And the other people who go, I don't know what it's called. And they're Googling it for like an hour later, right? <laughs> now, whichever person you are, it's okay. The important thing isn't that you know why it's called February. The important thing for you to know is that we've lost something because we don't know why it's called February. The important thing for you to know is that there's a sacred thing, that there's an ancient ritual that was essential to human life for thousands of years that we lost because we just don't know why it's called February. And I'd like to reclaim that with you tonight. Are you down for that? Okay, so here's the deal. February is like a pretty young month. The Roman calendar used to end in December and begin again in March. Now, it didn't mean that the, the whole world was like a nine-month period. It just meant that January and February were not months until they were added later. What happens is the year would end, and then the year would begin on March 1st, and winter was considered this monthless period. It was just, a, it was just called, it was December, and then it was winter. And then you started the year in March, and it was just this space. Now, there are two reasons for that. One of which is in, in the Northern Hemisphere, that's the, it was the darkest and coldest time of year. The darkest, coldest, and wettest. So imagine that the whole world that you live in is dark, cold, and wet. No one's happy, and people are dying of strange diseases. You would just call that winter. So that part of the reason was climate. The second reason that it was just called winter and it was a monthless period is because winter sucks. 
Uh, it doesn't, if you, unless you live in Australia, if the Aussies are here, we're like, yeah, we know winter's awesome for you guys. But the known world that Rome had conquered, winter sucks. Even in LA, when we, where we technically have no winter, or the people are like, oh, you're so complaining. Anybody with me? Does winter suck for anyone else yeah. in the whole world? I just, winter's cold, it's wet, it's dreary. You're like, oh, but it's productive because there's nothing fun to do. Yeah, that's not a, an upside for me. Winter still sucks. I've, I've never been more depressed in my life than in winter. How about you? Like, it's sort of like this little cloud comes over me, and it's like people are like, you're in Southern California, what's your problem? We have a very cold and bitter winter, and I hate it. <laughs> so I'm gonna complain about that. There are gonna be people who are gonna hear this who are from Minnesota. What are you doing in Minnesota, I wonder? Like, have you ever been places where it's like 30 degree below zero? I've been to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, which is Northern Canada. Some Canadians? I've been, to, I've been up in Northern Canada. It was 40 below zero one morning. I literally was like, that, to me, that all that, that equals is that equals uninhabitable is all I would put down. <laughs> Don't do that to yourself. Like literally your lungs hurt when you inhale. That would be a sign that you're on a different planet that is not made for human life. Leave. Winter sucks. But then the Romans decided what we need is we need these months to be in the space. So what would happen actually is they named the month after a festival that occurred on February 15th. This festival was called Februarius. It was a festival of purification. You would go through this festival of purification on February 15th because the year began on March 1st and it was a way of purifying yourself from all the things that had happened to you over the winter, all the things that you'd caught on to, all the things that had happened to you in your life, or it was a process of getting back all the things you had lost that year. Because you see, the word purification, something to be pure, is the condition of being whole. If something is pure, it's whole. All of its pieces are a part of it, and all of it is there. But see, the reality is what the Romans knew in their infinite wisdom and in their crazy space, what carried on is the thing that marked the winter was the fact that people said, I just have a sense that I need some purification. Not all the Roman festivals were participated by everybody in the whole kingdom, but Februarius was one of the most popular because people had an intrinsic sense, I just need to restart. I just need a do-over. I just need to take a deep breath and need a cleanse. Anybody in LA ever done a cleanse confession time? Yeah. Do you, how many of you, you did the cleanse and then you, were, then you told your friends, you're like, yeah, I know it's about the food, but it was so much more than that. You ever had that moment? <laughs> or you meet a person who like stops eating meat for a little while or stops eating bread and they're like, you don't understand it. My eyesight, it's my, I, you know, and they, they just give you this holistic picture of what, what's changing in their life. See, what happens is that all of us, even to this day, we have this strange sense that we want to start over, we want to do over, we want renewal, we want to cleanse, we want to reset. Maybe you're here tonight and the thing that you want to reset or the thing you want to start over is your relationships. Or you feel like I need a do over, I need to start over in my spiritual journey, I need to start over a do over in my work life. I just need a reset of the energy of my marriage. You want to reset of the energy of your relationship, a reset of the energy of your own interior world. See, maybe you're here tonight because you, like the Romans, had a sense, I just need to cleanse, I just need to be made whole again. See, what happened is that there were these rituals of purification that happened actually all around the world that were kind of collated in this Roman festival of Februarius. See, if you were a religious person, this is what's crazy. If you were a religious person for thousands of years, you lived longer than the pagans. Did you know that? It was crazy. The religious people would actually consider themselves protected by God because they would live longer than what they called the defiled pagans or the diseased pagans. And this is the truth. The pagans were actually diseased. 
Most of the reason is because if you were a, a, a religious of any kind, you actually had built into your practice and process the protection of God, as they would describe it, which was the ritual cleansing you would go through, through ceremonies and through practices of worship. So check this out, for thousands of years, the people who followed ritual cleansing, the Hebrew cleansing and the Christian cleansing and the Baha'i cleansings, they would go through these cleansings, they lived longer and had less diseases. They said, oh, we're protected by God. It wasn't until 1500 that we had a single theory of germs. We didn't have a, of a person in the world who considered that there were germs in the world until 1500. Now check this out, some of the rituals, it's crazy. You read through the scriptures, you read through holy texts, and you find out that the rituals were things like if you touched a dead body, you had to go through a cleansing process before you could be resubmitted to the community. Without even a knowledge of germs, it was a spiritual thing. You had touched something unclean. When a woman went through her menstruation cycle, when a man had issues down under, you went through this process of cleansing because you could, they didn't want to give each other any kind of diseases. So they were less diseased and they did live longer than the pagans who had no ritual cleansings. Isn't that crazy? And what they said is, God protects us, not you. It might have been God who was protecting you and it might have been the acts of ritual that God gave you that protected you. Those ritual acts actually cleansed them and kept them alive. It wasn't even until 1890 that we even knew what a virus was. But there were these ritual cleansings that kept them alive. See, nowadays, the practices of ritual cleansings have almost completely faded away. Nowadays, we don't need ritual cleansings because it's already a part of our culture. We're kept alive. It's rare that a person knows that if you touch a dead body, you just go home and you just eat a burger with that same hand. You would stop being that person's friend and they would wake up. They would realize, I got to change some things about my life. Myself, personally, the way I ritually cleanse is with this magical, magical stuff they came out with a few years ago called Purell. Anybody a Purell fan? Like, even when I think of the word Purell, I got to put it on my hands. You know what I mean? Like I, I keep it with me everywhere. The smell of it just makes it makes me feel warm and cozy inside. It really does. I just put it on my hands. Anybody like, oh, I need, I need some right now. I need, I, I want you to know if I've ever shaken your hand, I've purelled within 30 seconds of either before or after that. I'm going to say hi to everybody. And afterwards, we're going to be in that beer garden out there. And I'm going to hug you and I'm going to shake your hand. And then before I even get into my own car, I'm going to purell my hands so that my car is this, is this sacred space. I have problems, don't I? Like deep rooted problems. But you're out there. Any, any, any germaphobes out there? Just give me a little, yeah, totally. You like raise your hand without touching your neighbor. It was amazing what you just did. You, you thread the needle. But we have all this, right? So we don't need the rituals of cleansing anymore. What we need in our life though, is still that sense that we need a reset, that we need a restart. We don't need the rituals of cleansing to keep us alive anymore, but we do need to reset. We need to rebegin our marriages. We still need that wholeness factor. We still need purification somehow of all the immaterial parts of who we are. We still need that process of becoming whole because life takes a piece out of us, doesn't it? Life takes pieces out of you. Ever had a job that took pieces out of you? Ever had a relationship where you left and you go, I don't feel like I have everything I came into this relationship with? <laughs> Ever broken up with somebody and you just go, there's a, there's a gaping hole inside my chest. How does that person not realize they have a throbbing heart in their hand? How does it, you ever, you ever been in a relationship that felt like a horror movie where you're just like, I'm just, I'm, I'm, you're standing in this space where things take a piece out of you, but have you ever taken a piece out of somebody? You ever been in a relationship and you were the person who took a bigger chunk than you gave? See, we take pieces out of each other in this life. 
And Paul, what we need for our life is we need to be aware of the fact that these rituals that kept people clean and alive thousands of years ago were so much deeper and more meaningful than that. What it was was, was actually making our souls whole and ready for something sacred. See, almost all of the rituals were around a sacred thing. You would go through a ritual cleansing because you were going to do a sacred thing, like have a child, or like get married, or a sacred thing like a ceremony, or a sacred thing like a worship or a sacrifice. You would go through these sacred things. We don't need the rituals anymore, but we have to realize what's changed is what, this, what is sacred. What has changed now that is different than then is that what is sacred is your life. You don't need to go to a sacred place. You are a sacred place. You don't need to do a sacred thing. You are a sacred thing. Your life is that sacred thing that we need purification for as we step into this life because your life is a precious and sacred thing. Do we have any moms in the house? You're not with your children. It's like a celebration. Get her a drink, please. She already does. She's like got three of them already. No, but, but your life... You are a sacred work of being a mother. Any dads in the house? You have a sacred job. That sacred work of being a father. Anybody a friend here in this house? Anybody a boyfriend in this house? Anybody a... (laughs) Yeah, there's a girl in this room who just looked over going, you didn't raise your hand. What are we going to... You're going to need purification later. But then... Anybody a wife in this house? Anybody a husband? See, you have a sacred thing that is your life. Does anybody make things for a living? Does anybody create beautiful things for a living? See, your life is a sacred thing. If no one's ever told you, every single thing you create and every day you wake up, your life is a sacred thing. And I forget this all the time. The words that you speak to other human beings are sacred words. The things that you say, the things that you create, what you create with your mouth or your hands or your life, every moment that you're alive, it's a sacred thing. And I forget this. See, I forget. I end up sometimes in like the montage sequence of my life. Ever been like that? We're like, oh, this is a montage where Hank gets up and Hank writes some stuff and then Hank's on the phone all the time and then Hank's doing his thing and he's playing with his daughter and then he puts her to bed and then he goes to sleep and he goes and works out and then he, and I just go, I'm just in the montage phase where it just gets cut together and I forget that I'm speeding up the most beautiful parts and the most sacred pieces of my life. I'm not waiting for the big moments. The big moments are in every sacred moment of my life. Those work meetings that feel like a waste of time, those conversations that feel like they're just too frequent, those dinners with your wife, those moments with your friends, you are a sacred life. You are a sacred instrument bringing beautiful things into the world. You are that sacred life. And I see, I forget this sometimes. I was in Vancouver and I was having dinner with my, one of my friend Greg, who's here tonight, and Greg and I were having some bibimbap at a sports bar, which is like only a Vancouver thing. You know what I mean? Like, if you go to a sports bar in Texas, then you're going to say bibimbap, and they're going to say, excuse you. They're not going to know what that is. But in Vancouver, it's like, of course, there's bibimbap. We're having bibimbap at a sports bar, and I said, Greg, I got an idea. I think I know what I want to do now, like as a side project. Why don't we get a bunch of people who have a bunch of money together? Let's create a fund, and let's invest in some tech companies. You know, like, everybody who's ever had that thought, like, over bibimbap at a sports bar in Vancouver? And I was just like, let's just invest in, a, in some tech companies. And, he's, and he just blew it off. He goes, anybody can do that. I want to make something. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, forget that idea. Let's make some stuff. But it's so easy to forget that what you're doing in your life is sacred. 
And I, for one, I slip into this weird passivity that my life isn't sacred. I slip into this weird passivity that the things that I can make in the world or create in the world, that it's up to other people, or I just wait for other people to give me a shot or other people to give me a chance. Part of what you're doing here in this room tonight is part of me taking an active role in that thing that used to be really passive. Because, see, I love to do what I'm doing right now. Yeah. I love this. And instead of waiting for, to be asked to do this some other place, or hoping that somebody would let me ask and come and talk to the thing. I just talked to Larry and I said, hey, let's open the doors. And I asked myself the question every night. This is the second night in the room I was upstairs. I looked at Cole and I said, do you think anyone will show up? <laughs> but I look at you and you go, you are a part of that active space of what I'm doing in the, that is sacred in my life. You are a part of this sacred moment in my life. And I want you to know you're here in this room and it's changing everything for me. Because I'm taking an active role in what is sacred. You and your life are unbelievably sacred. So we must be purified and whole for that work we're going to do. So that we don't come to the work and come to the sacred thing of our life halfway or with the pieces lost. We have to be purified and whole so we're ready to do the very best work. Are you ready for me to move through a process of being purified? Can you do that with me? So here's what you have to do. There are two things. Two ways to go through this process and action of being purified. And what I'd love to do is have us all leave purified. You ready for that? I would love for all of us to walk out of here feeling just a little more whole. The first thing you have to do is it starts with this thing called compassion. See, compassion is the act of alleviating the suffering of another. Is the act. Compassion is a verb. It's an action. It's not a feeling you have towards people who are suffering. It's your act of alleviating suffering. See, we as humanity are a body. We are a human body and we are all on this earth spaceship floating through the universe together. And we are like the bl white blood cells in our body. When you alleviate the suffering of others, you are healed too. When you serve other people, when you take care of other people, when you give to other people, when you give drinks to those who are thirsty, when you give food to those who are hungry, you are filled. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever noticed that by helping another person, you felt more alive? Have you ever noticed by giving to another person, you somehow felt more full? There's that transition in your life where you move from being the person who can't wait to get gifts to being the person who can't wait to give, and you've laid it all out and you just can't wait, and when somebody gives you something, you go, oh, what a, what, what a, what a secondary thing to the power of giving. See, that's what compassion is in our life. But see, we don't just have compassion on other people, but I want us to try something tonight. Are you down for a human experiment on compassion? Yes. So compassion is the act of alleviating the suffering or the need of another person. But I have this theory. If you won't pay for your friends for lunch, you're not going to buy food for a person who's starving to death. I just haven't seen it happen. I haven't seen a person who's like, yeah, I give this money every month for these people who don't have food. If they don't pay for their friends to buy a drink or some food. The guy who's always slipping out when the check comes or always wants to split. You know that person? Yeah, I've been that person for so many years. And what I realize is that when I'm stingy with my friends, I'm stingy with the world. So here's what I'd love tonight. If you're thirsty, find somebody to buy a drink for. If you're hungry, well, there's delicious food outside, find somebody to say, can I buy you a taco? And then when the person orders a ton of stuff, you go, maybe we could split that. You, you know, like, I, I, I'm not trying to make anybody go broke here, but I am going, can you, could you take your needs, project them on others, and see if you can solve them, and we see how many drinks and how much food we could get purchased for each other tonight. You down for that? Yeah. Yeah. But see, it's not just compassion on other people. You know when you make a mistake and when you screw up? Anybody ever screwed up? Yeah. Man, I screwed up so many times. Yeah, if you've ever screwed up, do you know that when you screw up, you make a thing? Like, when you screw up, you create a creature. Did you know that? This is a metaphysical reality. 
When you screw up and when you mess up, when you have a regret, you create a creature called regret that then you keep close to yourself and you just make it follow you around everywhere you go. When you screw up and when you hurt someone and then you remember that, you like make a creature and you keep it close. And when you create negative energy by hurting another person, that negative energy exists and bodies into a little creature. And when you regret or when you carry it around or when you shame yourself for it, you keep it close and you have all these little creatures. Have you ever been into somebody's house and been like, it's just too crowded in here? Where it's just crowded with mistakes and regret and negative energy and there's something wrong here. Ever been in a relationship and you go, it's just too crowded in this relationship. It's just the two of us, but there's some other thing happening. Those are all the creatures. So you and I, we carry a lot of our creatures around. Anybody carry any regret? Anybody have any mistakes that you remind yourself of sometimes? Anybody carry any little bit of shame in your life? Anybody have other people who put that shame on you sometimes? Anybody have anybody in your life that just likes to remind you of your mistakes? That's just a person who likes to rattle the cage of that creature you carry around with you. So you know what compassion is? Compassion is letting all of those creatures go. It's the act of compassionate release of letting the creatures that you carry around yourself mistakes and regret and shame and just letting them go. Maybe you came here tonight because you're carrying around a lot of regret, you're carrying around a lot of shame, you're carrying around a lot of baggage that you just need to let go. Maybe the person you need to have compassion on is you. See, maybe tonight the person you need to have compassion on is a person who hurt you. You need to forgive that person. And maybe that person that you need to forgive is the person who could never ask you to forgive you, which is you. Maybe you just need to release. See, the first step is compassion. It begins to heal and purify us because we get to let go of all those things that we carry around. But the second thing we need to do is not just compassion. That's not just how we're purified. The other thing we need to do is we need to have a proper understanding of flesh and stone. We have to have a proper understanding of all the pieces that come out of us when we're in relationship with people. Because you see, when you're in a relationship with people, it's natural that you have pieces taking out of you. When you trust a person and love a person, it takes a little piece out of you and you entrust them with it. When you carry a relationship with a person, when you love them or when you give them a secret or you're vulnerable or you entrust them in your life or you love a person, you give them a piece of yourself, but then you have this crisis. Like, I hope they know they weren't supposed to take that home. That was just a loan. It's kind of like when you're a kid and it's toys. Anybody love your toys when you're a kid? Oh my gosh, I, loved, I just loved my toys. Your toys are sort of your universe. They're your everything. All, you have all this plastic and metal and there's things that you look back on and you're like, you have so much emotion around the toys. And when, you have, when your mom has a friend come over or when you have friends from school come over, some of you had like real friends. My mom like had friends come over for me because I was a problem child. But uh, my mom would be like, hey, this is a friend, have it. And you know what those friends would do? They would walk into the house and the first thing they would ask is, what kind of toys do you have? Wasn't it cool to go to someone's house for the first time and just be like, what do they have? <laughs> Stuff I've never even seen. Like you start going, what's a talk boy? A talk boy? What is this? Like you did, and you just start looking at stuff and it's like silly putty and they have crazy things. And then someone had a double shot, you know, the little basketball hoops. It's like, oh my gosh, they're so rich. Like you just could. And then you were like, oh, that's a rich kid. I want to go to his house. I want to see his stuff. I want to see his toys. And you know what's crazy is then you, you have this test of friendship where you loan a person your toy. And a person goes, hey, can I take this home? And you're like, yeah, totally but it's just a loan. Like you're gonna bring it, it's not for keeps. Yeah, of course not. And then they leave and they get in the car and they drive away and you have this crisis moment, like do they know that, do, can I trust this person? I just gave them a toy and I, I, need, I need it back. And then you hang out with the person, you don't wanna make it weird, like hey, I need my toy back. So you go, well maybe I'll borrow one of their toys so that then we're even Stevens, you know what I mean? So then you go, hey, can I borrow your toy? And then they say no and you're like, well, what? Now I can't trust you because you borrowed something of mine and won't let me borrow something of yours. 
See, as we grow older, it stops being plastic and metal, and our toys become things like trust and love and hope and vulnerability. And when you have a relationship with somebody, you get into that relationship, and have you ever hung out with a person and go, what kind of stuff do you have? And you do. You want to know what their hopes are and who they are and the kind of people they are and the kind of things they do and the kind of talents they have and the kind of things they bring. And then you give pieces of yourself to each other and you hope they know that that's just a loan. They're supposed to bring it back. They're supposed to stay in your space. But then they leave. Ever had people take pieces of you and then just disappear? And then you're left like less and you're left without those things. Ever had people take pieces of you when they betrayed you? Ever had pieces of people take pieces of you when they cut you deep? or hurt you. See, I loved a girl who took a piece of me and then she blissfully took it with her fiancé off and away. I took pieces of my little brother when we were growing up. Just little pieces. Little pieces at a time. I took pieces out of people and people took pieces out of me. But then there's this other reality. We sometimes, oftentimes, we give away pieces and we don't even want those pieces back. I gave pieces of my daughters when they were born and I don't even want those people's pieces back. I want them to keep those pieces of me so that they know no matter where they are, I'm still with them even if I'm away. See, I gave pieces of myself when I went on dates with Sue Ann because they weren't dates. They were coffee meetings, planning things, and I was just staring at her. <laughs> Truthfully, we were at the alcove in the valley and she looked at me and she just goes, what are you looking at? And I was like, I don't know. You know, I, I, like I didn't have the guts to be like, you, baby. You know, like I didn't, I didn't have it in me. So I just was like, oh, I don't know. She's like, what do, you, do I have something on my face? And I just wanted to be like, my heart. You know, like I, I don't know what, I didn't know what to say except like, ah, ah. And I would just stare at her. But I was giving pieces of myself away and then she would go on these dates with these guys and I would watch it and I would just be like, oh, she's got it in like her back pocket and she doesn't even know she has like pieces of, but she can keep it, it's cool. <laughs> See, in the scriptures in Ezekiel, it says that God took your heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh. See, the scriptures in Ezekiel describe that there's a transformation that happens in you, that you go from having a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. It doesn't mean you don't feel something, but we live our lives sometimes like we have a heart of stone. Like if it gets broken or bruised, then pieces will scatter and fall and they'll be gone forever. See, a stone, if it's broken or cracked or scarred, you have to constantly find all the pieces because they never graft back on together. See, if you live like you have a heart of stone, then you're afraid to give a piece of yourself away because it'll never come back. But when you have a heart of flesh, you can take a hit and you'll bleed and bruise, but it will always be regrown. See, when you go from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh, you have to realize that you become capable of pieces of yourself being taken off of you and it being regrown. When you have a heart of flesh, you look at all the people who, people who took pieces of you, who left with pieces of you, the relationships that took pieces of you, all the pieces that are of your life that are scattered all around, and you realize you'll regrow all of that. They can have them all. It's a process of purification by simply letting it go. You must know here in this room that you are not made of stone. You are made of flesh, and you will bruise, and you will scar, and you will bleed, but you will always heal. You must know here in this room that no matter what wounds you have, have been inflicted on you, no matter how many pieces have been taken from you, you will always heal. Don't believe that lie that you're stone and you just need to gather all those pieces and protect the pieces that you have. When you have a heart of flesh, you open up your arms big and you go, I can give pieces to them and pieces to them and pieces to the ones I love and they can keep them because I can regrow. See, you have this opportunity to make a transition 
that to find purification through realizing that all the people who took pieces of you that you couldn't trust, it's not to tell you that you need to have a heart of stone and then just not trust the rest of the world, but keep trusting people because you will always regrow what they took from you. Keep loving people because you will always regrow. If you have a child, you'll give your piece of you them, yourself to them and then they will stomp it on the ground. And you're gonna get older and they're gonna say mean things to you and they're gonna stomp on that piece but you're gonna keep regrowing and keep giving them pieces because you still love them. This is an opportunity for you to say, this February, this month of purification is an opportunity to say, I'm going to open up my arms and say, you can have that piece, and you can have that piece, and you can have that piece. I don't need to protect my heart of stone anymore. You do not have a heart of stone. You are flesh. You have a sacred life, and we are all counting on you to give that life away. Throughout the scriptures, this is a constant theme that you find your life when you give it away. You don't want to be lost with a, with a bunch of stone and a heart of stone that you just don't share with the people in your world. You want to have a heart of flesh that you go, the most like, the more I give of myself, the more I find. You can be free of this. See, this is the invitation tonight, that you and I would be purified, that you and I would be made whole through the process of letting all of those old pieces go. So I want to invite you to join me in a moment of meditation, in a moment of purification to take all of these things and implement them into our souls and implement in them into our lives. And with a deep breath say, we will step into this year, this month, this February purified. See, I want to invite you with a great big deep breath to face the world around you and know that you can be beaten and bruised, you can be hurt and scarred, but you will always grow back. You are flesh and no longer stone. You have the capacity to do so much more. And so because you're flesh, go big. Risk big, love big, give big, just keep going. You're flesh, you'll take a bruise and you'll take a cut and it doesn't tell you that the world is evil, it tells you that you're getting better at healing. Anybody have any scars? Yeah. I have the stupidest scar of my life. I have a scar on my leg right here where I took a chunk out of my leg with a pocket knife. Because I was a kid and my mom gave me a pocket knife and I was in the garage playing by myself pretending like I was fighting off a group of demons, right? And I was pretending like I was slashing tires. This is a totally true story. I was pretending like I was slashing tires with this pocket knife in my hand and I, I nicked my leg and took a chunk out of my leg like that big. So I have this scar on my thigh that I will not show you right here. It's a constant reminder, not of the fact that I'm an idiot, although sometimes that happens. It's a reminder that I heal. See, if you have any scars in your life, those scars are not reminders that people are going to take pieces of you or not reminders that the world is going to hurt you. They're reminders that you can swing away because I'll heal no matter what you take away. Yeah. See, we're going to have a meditation tonight. You up for that? We're going to do a meditation and walk through a little purification process. And in order to do that, I love meditations, but I love meditations to music. <laughs> so I brought two of my friends, Chris and Lisa. Could you give them a round of applause? They're going to come out. <laughs> and I'm gonna take you through a meditation. This is gonna be the end of our evening. This is gonna be the conclusion of our time in this room together, this warm and beautiful room, this cozy room where you've gotten to know the texture of the arm hair of your neighbor, and I'm just so glad that you're here, but we're gonna do this together, and then as we conclude, I'm gonna give you another gift, and then we're gonna hang out and eat food, 
and compassionately buy each other food. You ready for this? Okay, I'm gonna ask everybody in this room to take a deep breath, and if you're comfortable, close your eyes with your hands on your lap open. Everyone take a deep breath in, and then a deep breath out. And out. One more deep breath in. Hold it for a second, and let it out. I want you to bring your mind a picture of yourself standing in a field. A place that is surrounded by beauty. This is a safe place that you're in. No need for high walls or thick doors. You're in an open pasture. In this pasture, as you stand in the beauty, up walks a familiar face. Regret. You are joined by a few of your favorite mistakes, not all of them, just the ones that you keep close. The ones that remind you of mistakes you made or words you said. Then up walks the people who took pieces out of you. Not all of them, just the ones you wish you could have gotten back. And they're all standing in a chorus and you can see all of their faces and their smirks and their smiles. And then a wind rises. A fierce and yet refreshing wind begins to blow and it blows harder and harder with every gust. It should be alarming, but somehow it's refreshing. See, the old you would give these creatures shelter. You would have held them during wind or rain or change. After all, you made room for them in your moving van and even bought a bigger house to give them space. They are, after all, friends of yours and family members, maybe. But this windstorm is blowing them away and you surprise yourself because you see that you are waving. You are waving goodbye to them with a big and fearless smile. You're inviting them to go make shelter someplace else, letting them leave you whole and purified. You are free. You are a heart of flesh. You are not made of stone. Your pieces don't leave empty spaces. They're always regrown. You are always healed. You are always healed. Their faces, though, are not alarmed. Their faces of your mistakes and regrets, of those who took pieces of you, they're not angry at you. On their face is the image of them being relieved. Thank you, they shout as the wind carries them away. Thank you, they yell as they throw their arms in the air and lift off, for you are not the prisoner. You are the guard. You've been holding them prisoner and now they are running away from your grip and you are both free. It was a compassionate release on the mistakes and the enemies and the ones who hurt you, but a compassionate release on yourself. You have let them go. But see, this celebration seems to have awakened spring. Flowers are blooming and the wind is rustling. You're in this pasture and you've had compassion on these creatures and you are standing there whole and purified. And as you turn to leave, you see more faces approaching. You look up and you're surrounded by the ones that you love. The faces of those you gave pieces of yourself to, your children, your wife or your husband, your parents, those you loved, living or deceased. You've made your life greater by giving the gift of yourself to them and now you stand there purified. Surrounded by the ones you love, you are cleansed for this sacred thing, your daily life your daily practice of giving yourself away.
And now in this room, you're back at the resident with your eyes closed, surrounded by people, surrounded by safe people with no walls or bars. And you stand here purified. You begin this year, you begin this month purified and whole. And with a deep breath, you open your eyes and you are new. Turn to your neighbor and say, everything is going to be all right. It's going to be a good February, isn't it? See, you don't need to do this every day of your life. But once a year, how about we reclaim the practice of being whole again? You up for that? So I'll see you back here or somewhere or wherever you are on February 1st, and we'll begin this practice and this ritual in our life of saying, we're just going to begin the year whole. And then for all of us, my hope for you, my prayer for you, is that you would become whole through compassion on other humans, especially on yourself, and that you would become whole, and that you would find that wholeness in your life and in your daily life by the practice of letting it all go and giving yourself away. Thank you so much for being here tonight. I can't wait to watch your life open up. Thank you so much, guys. Okay. All right. Now, I told you I was going to give you a gift. So I have a gift for you. Since we have Chris and Lisa here, and we're in a music venue, wouldn't it be awesome for them to just throw down a little ditty before we all hang out and chill? All right, so they're gonna throw down a little bit, a little bit of a ditty, and then I have one other thing to tell you before we go. And guys, they're just wonderful, awesome people with extraordinary talent. So let's just give them all of our oohs and our ahs and our goodness. Check it out.
Thank you, guys. When you came in, you received a piece of greenery. That piece of greenery is the reminder of the field where you found purification. Take it home with you, take it wherever you want. This beautiful piece behind me was designed by my friend Kari. Didn't she do a great job? And if you want, before you go, this is for your consumption. So if you want to come up and you want to grab a piece and you want to take something home and you want to bring it to life and put it in your house as a reminder to you that you leave this place whole and you enter 2016 and the years of your life and you are whole and purified. Thank you so much for being here tonight. I've had so much fun and I love being a part of this. The night is not over. We're just transitioning in around here if you want or out there. I'll be out there saying hello and then we're going to be back next month if you want to join us or if you want to come be a part of what's happening. Thank you so much for being here. Um, if, you want, if you want updates on what we're doing, you can go to hankfortner.com and put in your email and we'll email you all the good stuff and all the things that are going on or just follow us on Instagram and follow the things that are going on. Thank you so much for being a part of tonight. It means so much to me personally. Thank you for being a part of creating with us. I'll see you outside. Take care, guys. Thank you.